Now, let's move on to uh, back to our relationship remodel series. We're going to go a little deeper down the relationship rabbit hole today. Um, we laid a little groundwork already. We've started last week to, to kind of build a new foundation. Today, we're going to get at beginning the remodeling. Last week, I sent you home. I, I, I want to encourage you to try to do the homework assignments. I usually don't give homework. I sound like we're in a class. I usually don't give homework. Um, but last week, I, and the last two weeks I've given you some, last week I gave you one thing that I wanted you to do that was reflective, and the other thing was instructional. I asked you to look at your relationships, especially the ones that are in those inner circles, the closer ones, and ask yourself what plans, what paradigms, uh, paradigms, what imitations, what limitations, what expectations have I brought to those relationships, and have I placed on others, my spouse, my kids, those I work with. And then I instructed you to do whatever you did to not talk about any of those things yet. Um, and that's because I wanted to give you one more tool prior to having that discussion, because that is the potential to be an absolute train wreck of a discussion, right? Um, and I wanted to give you one more relational tool before you had that discussion. So hopefully you didn't run ahead. Um, maybe some of you overachievers are sitting here by yourself this week because you ran ahead. So we're building this week by week, okay? We're starting with a foundation, and we're starting to put the house up, right? Week by week. Where have we been? Week one, looked at the understanding, the incredible power that are in our relationships. We were created, because we were created in the Imago Dei, the image of God, we were created to be in relationships, right? God made us in his image, and God himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, exists in the most beautiful, holy, selfless, eternal relationship that has ever existed. I shared with you that the early theologians used the Greek term perichoresis to describe this God that lives in eternal relationship, what it was like. The term was used to describe a, a Greek wedding dance. It was a dance of at least three people. And they would go in circles, weaving in, weaving out in this wonderful motion pattern. They'd start to go faster and faster. However, they would always stay in this perfect rhythm and synchronization with each other. Eventually, the dance gets going so quickly, and yet effortlessly, it just becomes a blur. Yet, each person in it maintains their individual identity Perichoresis, right? It's this dance of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And in it, they, the, the dance steps include things like mutual love and honor, happiness, joy, respect, living in an eternal relationship of selflessness, of self-giving. That's who God is. That's what God experiences in his life 24-7. The joy of the Lord will be my strength, the scriptures say. If you want to understand the joy of the Lord, understand the relationship that persists and exists, that he exists in. This is why when God saw Adam in the garden, in all of its perfection, he was still able to look and go, that's not good. Because he's not experiencing what he should be experiencing as someone made in my image. He wanted us to live in that kind of relationship. He invited us to go dancing. And this is why our relationships with each other Right? They were to be the single greatest way for others to understand how God loves them. As his people love each other, right? as his people love the world, the world would go, now I understand how God loves me. It was to be, these relationships were to be the validation of who Jesus is. 
God models for relationship. God models for us relationships. We model for the world God. And that's why when his people fail at these relationships, it has such devastating consequences that go just beyond two people. And since they get these relationships we get ourselves in, since they have so much power in us, we looked at the science on this, remember, they actually change the way we think, our brain waves, our relationships change who we are, the trajectory of our lives. Harvard professor, 90% of your success and failure in life will be predicated on who you're spending your time with. I challenged you, right? Since your relationships have such undeniable power, be careful with whom you spend your hours. You had a little homework to do about that, right? You got to be careful with it is who you choose to dance with. Encouraged you to, to lay out who you're spending your time with and what are your goals? Who is God calling you to be? And do those match up? And if they don't, at least try to balance it out. Get yourselves in a small group. Surround yourselves with other folks that, that are trying to pursue Christ like maybe some of you are. Now last week, we looked at the foundational flaw that's at, at the heart, at the base of every human relationship. And it's this, at the heart of every human relationship we get ourselves into, we, we don't do this consciously. I, uh, well, maybe we do. We don't do, always do it consciously. But most of the time when we get into them, we get into them for what we can get out of them. I shared my story with you last week, how I was dating a young, beautiful Joan Eisman, and when it came time because she wanted to get married and, you know, I had to fish or cut bait, I actually, a little embarrassing, but I actually did this pro-con list of if I should marry Joan, right? What would be the pros and the cons? It was like I was buying a used car, right? Like what, let's, let's think this through. What? Now, I know you all laugh at this, but you know, Joan and I talked about this. You people do this, too. <laughs> Joan said to me, I only married you because you were incredibly handsome. She told me that just this week. <laughs> right? She didn't tell me that. Um. <laughs> I would wager that to one degree or another, sometimes consciously, oftentimes unconsciously, right? Um, at least in, in that marital relationship, prior to, prior to getting yourself married, right? Didn't you spend your whole life thinking about, wondering about, you know, looking for the person that would be just right for you, not working on yourself so you'd be just right for another, right? That's what's at the mindset of all of our relationships. It's not just marriage, friendships, work relationships, even parenting. In every relationship, we bring to them the models of how they're going to work. So the ones we witnessed growing up, for most of us, the plans, the patterns, the paradigms of our parents, usually. And then we apply them to the relationships we find ourselves in. And these things go from, I want to be friends with the cool kids because I, I want to elevate the table I sit at in the cafeteria, right? And the parties that I get invited to on the weekend all the way down to how we parent and the expectations that we place on our kids. My least favorite line of all parenting, and it's such a social media thing, is, she's my mini-me. Don't do that. Right? Oh, he's going to grow up. Uh, my children will respect me. Or he's going to be in sports, not in the band. Right? We, we all have these expectations we bring to these relationships, and when they don't live up to what our dreams and demands and expectations are, that's where oftentimes we have several roads that we can go down. These dysfunctional roads, I called them last week, where when these things are not met, we, 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 we tend to operate in several patterns. One pattern is, well, I'm out of here. 
My needs aren't being met, and so this is now over. And then the ever-popular transactional model of relationships, the one my grandfather told me to engage in, 50-50, right? Well, if you do, then I do. That's a different kind of dance. There's a lot of toe, stepping on toes in that dance. But because almost all of our relationships and the models are, are wrong models that they're based off of, they wind up down these roads. We don't really know how to dance. And so that's why the scriptures are just replete. And I'm telling you, once you discover this truth, as you read your Bible, you're going to see this over and over and over again. You'll actually start to say to yourself, I don't know how I missed it all this time. Over and over and over again, in your relationships with one another, follow the model of Jesus. Look at what the Apostle Paul, who wrote to, to churches, he planted and, and visited all, all, all around um, the, the, the first world. With great regularity, he begins to talk. And Paul is almost always writing to a church that's got dysfunctional relationships in it. And he's reminding them of what he referred to as the law of Christ. This singular new law that all of our relationships with one another were to be modeled after. A new command, Jesus said, I give you. Love one another. Which again, Jesus gives this new law as part of the Last Supper. We talked about this last week. The night he's being betrayed. At first, it doesn't seem all that new to anybody at the table. Everybody there had heard it before. Jesus had replaced the 600 plus commands they were living under with just two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. But now Jesus goes, I I I'm giving you a new command. Again, they're thinking, well, it's not all that new. We've heard love, love each other. But fresh from washing their feet at the table, Jesus' robe likely still wet from drying them. His hands perhaps still wrinkled from all the time spent in the dirty water. He goes on and he says, as I've loved you, so you must love one another. As I've loved you, what is that? That is a model for a relationship. It is everywhere in the scriptures. And how has he loved us? He's loved us with the exact same love that he experiences within that Trinitarian dance, that selfless dance. And it was characterized over and over again with one singular word. One singular word which must stamp every Christian relationship. Again, Paul, this time to the church in Ephesus, but you'll see it in almost every one of his writings. Follow God's example. What is an example? It's a model. Remodel your relationships. Make them look different now. As dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And then he gives that one word, and it's a word we don't like. Submit to one another. That is the word, the correct foundation, the new foundation that must sit at the base of every Christian relationship. If you're going to stamp Christian on it, it doesn't mean that you got married in church. It means this is what sits at the root for us. We submit to one another. We have modeled our relationship after how Christ loved us. I told you last week it's actually the flip side of a double-sided coin. This week I actually went around looking to see if we have any coins um, that have been minted that talk about love, any double-sided coins that I could put up and show you. The only one I found was this, this coin. I liked, you know, I love you, that's kind of cute. But, but the other side gives such theologically correct and practically instructive words. To the moon and back. 
what does that mean? Right? I mean, I'm not actually sure how you would model a relationship off of this cultural truism, but I can tell you this. It might not be practical, but it is much more popular than the biblical double-sided coin that Paul wanted us to mine. If love, in the Bible it is, is committing yourself to act for the well-being of another person, I am committed to your well-being. Well, the other side of the coin would then be, because I am committed to your well-being, I will submit myself to you. What does that mean? It doesn't mean what we think it is in our culture. It simply means I'm going to put myself under you, my well-being, under your well-being. I am going to prioritize your well-being, your interests, your hopes, your plans, your dreams, your desires. I'm going to submit mine to yours. I'm going to consider you more important than me. Imagine that just in your head. Well, you're more important than me, so. And Paul would challenge Christians in every community to do this in every kind of relationship they could possibly find themselves in. I showed you all of them last week. Submit, as you see in this dance of God and, and in the love of Jesus, doesn't mean like it does when it comes to, to our culture. It, it doesn't connote passivity or weakness. It doesn't mean you allow somebody to put cigarettes out on you or dominate you. It has nothing to do with a loss of dignity. That's not what Paul was describing. It was what love does. It's not for me, it's all for thee. It's not for me, it's all for thee. You first, your hopes, your dreams, your passions, your desires, they're going to come. I'm going to put them ahead of mine. This isn't about meeting 50-50. I, I, I want to know and then help, help you achieve them. And why? Because the other person did something to deserve it? Nope. They did their 50 and so I'll meet them halfway? Nope. They held up their end of the bargain? Nope. Should I submit because I have some emotional attraction to the person or, or desire for them? Do I submit to them simply because of the existing power structure in the relationship? But boy, someday they'll get theirs. No. For none of those reasons. But there is a reason. And again, the scriptures say it over and over again. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, if you, if you submit to, to, to folks in your, in your life for any other reason than that, if you put others first all the time and you do it for any other reason, I'm telling you right now, you're going to grow really tired of it really quick. It's going to be like, forget this. I don't want to do this. I'm not getting anything out of this. The only reason that resonates, the only reason that lasts is the cross of Christ. You, you submit to one another. You put others first simply because this is our story. This is what it means to be doers of the word and not hearers of the word. You do it because Christ modeled it for you. Jesus put you first. While we were yet sinners, the scriptures teach, long before we would ever give to Jesus our 50% and meet him halfway, long before we were attractive in any ways, while we were still at our very worst, Christ died for us. As I have loved you, now you go and love one another. And this is really hard if you've ever tried to actually do this. It preaches well. It doesn't live out all that great. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because almost every relationship we're in is built on a, on a faulty foundation. 
Every model that, that, that we've followed has, has been built on a faulty foundation. To one degree or another, it has its, at its heart a list of things we, we want and, and need and to, to desire to get out of the relationship. And yet, over and over, the scriptures go, no, 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 don't do that model. That's a bad model. Here, look at this model and do this one. Again, Paul, writing to a different church. What's he writing about? Their relationships. Do nothing. Now, this is interesting. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I spent a lot of time reflecting on this stuff. I'm not sure in my whole life I've ever done nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Right? Like, this is how we operate. Right? This is what we do. Well, what do you mean? Uh, yeah, you want me to do it just because? No, I want you to do it out of reverence for Christ. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourselves. There it is again. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And so with this new foundation, this new model, right? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember that this model, I know this sounds weird, all right? I know there's a lot of whatabouts that could come to mind here. We'll deal with them along the way. But this is the foundation with this new model fresh in your minds, last week I sent you home to do two things based on this, right? First, I said, I want you to go home and I want you to evaluate your relationships. Be honest about what road your relationships tend to travel and take. Are you, for example, a transactional model girl? I will if he does. Are you a power-up-and-win guy? I will berate and belittle and begrudge until I get my way. If things are not working out, if you're not getting your way or, or, or getting what you want, do you just move on? Would people like look in the, the rearview mirror of your relationships? What would they see? Especially the close ones. If people looked at your relationships, especially the close ones over the years of your life, would they see submission? Or would they say, substitution, I'll just take my plans and patterns and paradigms, my hopes and dreams and, and desires, and I'll move on to someone else. I'll, I'll substitute relationships rather than submit to you. Would people, you have to be honest with yourself. I'm not sure there's, there's too many things that show us how much we're becoming like Jesus in our relationships. When you look at the relationships and the patterns in, in them in your life, would people look at them and say, Oh, I know he follows Jesus. How do you know? Look at his relationships. Not look at his checkbook. Not look at his mission trips. Look at the way she loves her husband. Look at the way he loves his wife. Look at how he operates in the community, in the neighborhood. I've never seen a guy love people so much. People that don't, don't agree with him. People that don't share his values. This guy just loves them anyway. Would they look and go, mm, that's a follower of Jesus? Or would they look and wonder where all the bodies are buried? Right? I've seen that guy in action. And then I asked in your closest relationships, I want you to reflect on the models and the modes, the plans and the patterns, the dreams and the desires that you brought to them. And what did you do? I've done it too. Right? I once stood at the altar with a beautiful young Joan Adele, Joan Adele Berg. I've got to make sure I get my own wife's middle name right. Joan Adele Berg, and you know what I gave her? A wedding ring and a pile of plans, desires, and dreams. And placed them right on her shoulder. Right? And I ask you to think about that, right? 
What did you load on to your children, your spouse, your boss, your neighbor? And would you be willing, the Bible uses the term yoke here, right? What yoke have you placed on them? Would you be willing to, to take them off? And then I told you, as I said earlier, whatever you do, don't talk about it yet because there's this last issue now. This last dynamic at work in all of our relationships you need to be aware of before you have that conversation with the closest to you. When, when I realized that my relationship with my wife was not modeling, I learned this by watching the way my friend Gary loved his wife. And then I started trying to bring some, some scripture to it, and, and it all came together for me. And I, I quickly learned by watching Gary's model, who, who Gary had modeled it all of Jesus, that my model was wrong. So I decided in understanding submission that I was going to do something about it, right? I remember thinking that most of this relationship, over the, over the first 20 years, I didn't do this intentionally, but most of this closest relationship was predicated on my wife playing her role, the required role, in, in my dreams, right? Like I had, a, I had places I was going to go, things I wanted to achieve, and she had a role in, in my play, my drama. Aren't we all in our own lives like the lead character? And, and so as a result, because I'm the lead character, right, she had a role to play, and I started thinking, boy, I, I really should, based on the scripture, swap this out. I should really start thinking about her hopes, her dreams, her plans, her wishes. Like, what would it look like if for the next 20 years of this marriage we forgot about mine and we started working on hers? And so I decided I was going to do something about it, but I didn't own this final dynamic that I'm going to teach you this morning, and I wish I had, right? Um, because when I went to her and began to share what I had learned, she began to agree with me about all of these things. And again, this plays itself out a lot better in a sermon than it does on a sofa, right? And, and as she shared with me some of, some of my uh, relational dysfunction, I felt this thing inside of me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back it up, girl, right? And before I knew it, words like, well, what about you, began to emanate from my lips, right? And I don't think, or I'm not sure, right? Even though I asked for it, even though I knew I was wrong, there was this thing inside of me that was making its way out. Well, oh, no, 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 that's not true. Do you know all of the things I've done for you? Let me remind you of how wonderful a person I am. You don't seem to understand, right? Here's the deal. I want you to have these conversations because I want you to submit yourself to one another. I want you to place each other's hopes, dreams, plans, desires above your own. But if you don't understand this last relational dynamic that I'm going to teach you this morning, that is at work in every single one of us. Submission discussions tend not to go well. You have to understand something about yourself first. And here it is again. This is, this is why the scripture is so brilliant and at the same time so practical. You read it, you're like, Jesus is... James, the brother of Jesus, right? Whom I, I, I'm guessing, I mean, what little brother hasn't had a few run-ins with his older brother? So there was a relational dynamic that might not have been. In fact, we know it probably wasn't all that functional for a while because for a long time, the scriptures seem to indicate that Jesus' little brother, James, thought he was crazy. Imagine if your brother was running around town telling everybody that he was God, the Savior of the world, right? 
what would you think of your brother? The same thing James did, right? There was a, a, a wonky relational dynamic between the two of them. And if you ever want to have a reason for believing that Jesus is who he said he is, right? What would it take for you to believe that your brother actually is God? Like, what would have to happen for you to go, you know what? Let me bow to you because you are my God and my Savior. What would your brother have to do? And I think the answer is he'd probably have to be resurrected from the dead, right? And so it's probably why we should pay attention to what James writes. And so here, here right? Here James goes, moving now from dis disbeliever and disavower to disciple of his own brother. James writes a question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Again, the scripture always talking about the preeminence of the importance of relationships because of what they do. Now, if you had asked me at the beginning of my submission session, my, my sofa submission session with Joan, and you had said, John, John, what is causing this fight and quarrel among you? You know what I would have said? She is. Very clear. I came in here with the best intentions. But do you, God, do you hear her? Right? She doesn't understand all I've done for her. In fact, what I would do is I would ask you to apply James' question, what causes fights and quarrels among you, to every relationship you're in. Right? Why, why do you fight and quarrel with your kids? But they don't respect me. What do you mean? Well, I tell them not to put their, their stupid cups and, and stuff in the sink. I tell them to put it in the dishwasher. Every morning I come down the stairs and what is in the sink? Cups and dishes, right? What causes fights and quarrels among you, right? Uh, I tell them every night, no, no phone after 10 o'clock at night, and yet I walk in their room and they're sitting there on Snapchat. What causes fights and quarrels at work? Oh, that's easy, my boss, right? His expectations are ridiculous. He never recognizes my work, not to mention I am grossly underpaid. You look at every relationship you're in, right? Because they're built on faulty foundations. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not, right? Is it not always, in our mind, not a what, it's almost always a who. She caused it, he caused it, they caused it. It's their fault. See, that's what I thought and I felt. Your feelings are really powerful. That's what I really felt until James taught me otherwise. And I'm guessing he figured this out from personal experience. He answers his own question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? James says what's causing fights and the breakdown in our relationships is not a who. He said it's actually a what, and it's alive in you, in all of us. Here's your refrigerator saying for the week. I'd encourage you to write it down and staple it somewhere before you have your discussions. Every time you feel defensiveness rising up in you with your spouse, your kids, your neighbors, remember, what is causing this relational problem, this dysfunction? It is a what, it's not a who, it's a what that lives in you. I'm going to teach you something right now that is, if we could get this right, especially in our homes, it's so powerful. It disarms every argument. He's not the problem. She's not the problem. The problem is something. It's in me, and it's causing me to react. What is causing me to feel this and to react the way I do? The problem, according to James, is it's our desires. In the Greek in which that, that, that was written, it, it, it meant the, it was our desire for pleasure. You know what it is in our relationships. Don't you understand what it is? It is our desires 
to have the model play out the way we wanted the model to play out. Right? The plans and the paradigms, the hopes and the dreams, the expectations, the imitations, the limitations, our desires. I had all these plans and you're foiling them. You won't play. You won't dance the way I want to dance. There's these things that are alive in us, right? That cause us to be defensive at, at least. That's like 101. But many of us move on. Sometimes it causes much more, more, something much worse than being defensive. I, I wanted, all I wanted was respect, and I didn't get it. So I withdrew. How many of you right now are not talking to somebody because, especially this happens in our relationships with our children a lot. They don't respect my wishes. I, didn't t I taught them not to live this way, and they're living this way. And so what is our response? We withdraw. I can talk to them. I'll show them. I, I wanted the recognition for this. I deserved it. I didn't get it. So I quit. I wanted more money. A nicer house. I mean, go through every single one of them. A better position. A smarter kid. Why are you so mad about that grade? A more attractive woman. Financial security. But he promised this isn't fair. I want to be seen as successful. I'm, I'm not getting it. And, and so I let her have it. I put him in his place. The source, James says, is not them. It's a problem with your desires. It's not out there. It's right here. The things I wanted in this relationship, I'm not getting. And James, he, he issues this. God, this is super important now. He issues this like a warning. Listen, this is important now. What's inside of you is coming for you. It's hunting you down. It's going to do great damage to you and to the people that you love. It's coming for you. It's dangerous. How dangerous? Well, next verse. You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. Which, of course, when you read it, right, it sounds kind of hyperbolic. I mean, James, give me a break. Kill? I'm not going to kill anybody. Seems a bit extreme, right? But you have to remember who's writing this. This is James, the brother of Jesus. This is James who, who is acutely aware of what happened to his brother and why it happened. He heard what was said by the Pharisees when they got together to, to conspire about Jesus. Here, here's how it was recorded by John. Uh, the Pharisees gathered and they said, well, we, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. You'd you do, not, uh, you do not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. What is that? Nothing more than what James just said. Well, we want, we desire, our plans are for a temple, right? And the position and the lifestyle that that affords us. And, and he's getting in the way of them, so he's got to die. It wasn't just James that knew it. They dragged Jesus before Pontius Pilate, right? And what does Pontius Pilate say? For, for Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. Pilate looks at it and goes, I see what you're doing. I can, I can see it. I, uh, you guys desire, and so he dies. And this was interesting as it reflected. Isn't it interesting how we can see this dynamic at work in others so clearly, but we're so blinded by it in ourselves? 
You look back at, at, at every relational conflict. Why is it that we can walk into other people's relational conflicts and go, well, it's so clear what happened here, right? The problem here was I could show you why you got upset, because, but we can never see it in ourselves. Yeah, um, first murder in the Bible, right? James says that this can work itself out in killing. Cain and Abel, right? Cain says the problem is who? The problem's Abel. All of us look at the story and we go, no, he wasn't the problem. Problem wasn't God either. Problem was you. You had a desire and, and you didn't get it. We see it in others, but we're so blinded to it in ourselves. This is why we can all watch Dateline every Friday night and see the problem so clearly. Every Friday night, Dateline, glass of wine. That's what the Eisman's are doing. And we're watching it going, watching it going. I'm a romantic. We're watching it going. You know, the first question is, I don't understand why they couldn't just break up, right? But, you know, that's a relational dysfunction pattern, but it's better than murder. But you watch it, and it's so clear to see what happened, right, in somebody else's relationship. But the guy in the episode, somehow he decided it was his wife that was the problem. It wasn't him. It wasn't his desires. It was her. She's the problem. She's got to go. In fact, James knows the same forces at work against the church of Jesus even after Jesus' death and resurrection. The church is beginning to grow rapidly, right? Then the high priests and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and they put them in public jail. I've got things I want, uh, needs, hopes, dreams, plans, and they're getting in the way. They have to go. And of course, you might go, well, I mean, that seems a bit much, right? I would never kill anybody. To which I might point you towards this little fact. I'm pretty sure nobody on the nearly now 3,000 episodes of Dateline thought it was possible either. 3,000. Jesus would say, humility, not thinking of yourself too highly, is the key here. Or excuse me, James would say that. What's at work in the Pharisees is alive and well in each one of you in your relationships. That dynamic is trying to get out. Plus, hey, let's be honest, maybe you would never kill anybody over this physically, but haven't we killed a lot of people psychologically or emotionally or with our words or our actions? I mean, we think about the things that, that, that this has caused us to say to one another, how we've reacted to others. And, and it's always, for some reason, it's always to those we're in closest relationship to. How many of our relationships have literally been killed because of this force that's alive in us? How many of us no longer talk to a mother or a father, a brother, a sister, a child, a, a friend? How many more relationships, the most important things in our lives, how many more have to die before we understand what James is saying? It's not their problem. It's not out there. It's in here. This is why James is so passionate about this topic. He goes, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. What is it that you covet? Why are you getting upset? Well, I wanted to spend Christmas with my family. And, and Christmas is really important to my family, and he wants to spend it with his. I, I always wanted a nice house, and we didn't get it. A new car. I wanted an Ivy League education. No, no, I wanted my kid to have an Ivy League education. Why? Well, part of it was because I really wanted to put that sticker in the window. Right? Let I me mean, be honest. James would say the problem isn't them, it's alive in you. And I've highlighted some of the silly things, right? But look, 
Here's the truth. Not everything you desire is wrong. It's not wrong to desire to feel loved. It's not. It's not wrong to, to desire to feel safe or, or valued or cared for or known or accepted. Those are all good desires. It's not that your hopes and your dreams and your plans and your expectations, it's not that they're all wrong. But here's the key to the whole thing. It's not that they're bad. It's that they're misplaced. It's not that they're bad. It's that they're misplaced. How many of these things, our desires, right, they have to do with, with what will make us feel loved or, or important or cared for or valued. That is not a bad thing, but you have placed it on the wrong person. They were never meant to bear the weight of all of those desires. You put the, the yoke on your spouse or your kids or your job. This is why James gets this. The very next verse, you cannot get these, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. That's a weird spin, isn't it? No. What he's saying is you took all of those things and you gave them to, you placed them on the wrong person. You don't get your identity out of your kids' achievements. I mean, we try. I mean, I'm guilty of that. It feels really good when they're performing well. We don't get our value from our jobs or our boss or our salary, but we try, don't we? Ultimately, the love that everybody's looking for, the security that we're all longing for, the value that we're all searching for, the yoke that we keep putting on others, they were not born to bear. And when, when you put that kind of thing, uh, that weight on, on, on things, on people that only God was, was meant to bear, that only God can actually provide for you, no wonder your relationships become so wonky. Peter, another one of Jesus' disciples, understands the same principle. Here it is once again. I just want you to see how pervasive this is. All of the authors in the New Testament. In the same way, he says, so he had just written about this principle. In the same way, you who are younger, submit. Oh, there it is again. Submit. Who this time? Submit yourselves to your elders. Put your elders' desires, plans, hopes, dreams, well-being, put it ahead of yours. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Oh, there it is again. Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Submit to one another. Humble one another. And I know we think, well, if I do that, man, if I live this way, then what about my hopes and my dreams and my plans and my expectations? What about, my, what about love and identity and purpose and security? Where do I get it from? Next verse, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. All of your worries, all of your dreams, all of your hopes, all of your plans, you don't put them on somebody else. You give them to God. You trust God with them. Why? Because he cares for you. Back to James, right? Talking about the same thing. He goes, look, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James is answering your rebuttal, well, I tried that and I didn't get any of it. James says, yeah, because you wanted it for yourself. You missed relational dynamic 101. You didn't want to spend any of it on others. You didn't put their hopes and dreams and plans and desires first. You just asked God to help you live out the wrong dysfunctional relationship pattern. He's not going to do that. Here's how I know we struggle with this. When is the last time you brought in prayer the hopes, dreams, plans, and expectations that might cost you something? Those of your wife or your kids or your boss. When's the last time you brought them to God and said, God, 
please let Joan's hopes, dreams, plans, and aspirations come true, even if it costs me something. I only bring my own. And then he says something very powerful, and I think it's because the relational dynamic is so important to James. It cost his brother his life, after all. He writes, now this is tough language, okay? Tough language. He's talking about fights and quarrels. Fights and quarrels. Here's what he says. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Don't miss this. What James, what for James is friendship with the world. When he says, don't you know that friendship with the world? What does it mean to be friends with the world? To fight with one another. Because of these desires. Next sentence. Again, how important are relationships in the Bible? He goes on. Therefore, anybody who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. I didn't write this, okay? What is being an enemy to God? How do you become an enemy of God? You fight and quarrel. That's what James said. Why? Understand, because these relationships are the primary way people will know who Jesus is. They are the primary way that will validate that Jesus is who he said he is to the world. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. These relationships are the way people will see and understand how God loves them. When you fight and quarrel, especially in these primary relationships, you're working against the will of God and what he's doing in the world. You are literally at the opposite, the polar ends of what God is up to. This is how important this is. You adulterous people, instead of getting all the things that you desire from me, God is saying, I have desired to, to love you like a husband loves a wife. Instead of coming to me and getting them from me, you have cheated on me with the world. You have taken your love to town. You've tried to get your desires met by other lovers, other idols. And now look, you're not only destroying yourselves and your family, you're making a mess of what was supposed to be the message. That's how powerful this is. Instead, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. There's the model. What was that? Who by being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made of himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross, the most humiliating death in the community. Our plans, our hopes, our dreams, our desires, we take them, we submit them to one another so that something else, something new, we crucify them in some sense so that something new might live. We crucify our flesh that rises up and goes, but what about you? And we go, no, 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 I'm, I feel that and I'm stopping it. That, that is a wrong thing. It's a brokenness in my desire, right? The Lord desires in your marriages to create new creations. The old must die so that the new might live. And so here's your homework for today. Now that you are aware there is a powerful force that is living inside of you and desires to do a lot of damage, you are prepared for a conversation. Because I'm telling you right now, you will feel your flesh rise up. Nothing, as ironic as it seems, can cause a fight like a discussion about a relationship. But now you know the source of the fight. It's not out there. It's in here. So here's what I want you to do. I want to encourage you. In a relationship or two, you pick the relationship, right? Sometimes there's these third rail relationships, and let's steer clear of them for a little bit, right? 
And these don't have to be strained relationships. These can, these can be good relationships now. My relationship with my wife was, was fine when I started these principles, and it completely transformed it. It took it to a different level. Here's the first thing I want you to do. I want you to acknowledge. Get some time. Get some time. Set up, a, you know, set up that sofa discussion. Number one, acknowledge. I've been thinking about this. I have put my hopes, dreams, plans, and desires ahead of yours. Uh, acknowledge how you've done it, in what ways you've done it. I can see, now I look back and I see that I've done this, and I didn't mean to do it, I want you to know I didn't mean to do it, but I've done it, and I want to put those things under your hopes and dreams and plans and desires, which means you're going to need to ask somebody a question. Some of us could be married for 30 or 40 years, and you have never asked your spouse, you know, what exactly was it that you were hoping, dreaming, and planning uh, for this ma marriage and life? Once you start doing this, this becomes a constant topic of conversation. I didn't realize I was doing this, Joan and I were out, were out on Friday night. We are at the Chesapeake Bay Seafood House, and we were sitting at a, a table, and I said, you know, tell me about what you want. When you were a little girl, what did you dream your life to be like? I didn't even know I was doing it, but I've gotten so ingrained in this now, right? Like, I want to know what you did. How I can help you achieve that. What are your hopes and dreams and plans? How can I put them above my own? And it, well, you know, you could stop doing this. Oh, well, wait a minute, I would stop doing that. No, 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 no. Right? You feel that, you go, oh, here it goes. This is what James was talking about. I'm not going to do that. Right? I'm just going to listen. And then here's the last thing. This is the truth. This is, wh this is where it works. You take all of those things that you have been putting on everybody else and you bring them to God. And you leave them there. You trust him with them. Why? Because he loves you. No fighting this week. I'll see you all back here next week. Let's stand and close in song.